If you'd like uh, to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. We'll pick up reading at uh, verse 13. We'll read down through verse uh, 20. And we're taking a look at uh, the second part of verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, before we do so, let's uh, pray. Father in heaven, as we uh, come to your Word, we ask that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd come and uh, uh, illumine your Word. You wrote it. Uh, you have caused us to believe it. And we ask that... Uh, by your powerful working of exalting Christ and uh, working in each of our hearts, uh, that you would uh, indeed work a miracle in us. Uh, give us what we stand in need of for this fight, that we might be valiant warriors for Christ, fighting in the strength which uh, you, our God, alone supply. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, Ephesians 6 at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So one more time, verse 17, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. As far as the reading of God's Word, may He bless it to our hearts and lives uh, this morning. So, beloved congregation of hope and everyone with us uh, here today, I want to uh, reiterate that uh, what we're talking about here in spiritual warfare is not a fight uh, in order to get saved. This is the fight of the already saved. We've already been bought with a price. The ransom has been paid. Uh, we've been uh, brought from, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And now uh, we can see the kingdom of heaven because we've been born again. So the fight uh, that uh, Paul is writing of here uh, is a fight that's fight of the fight that Christians fight. Uh, D-Day has already happened, as it were. We're just cleaning up the mess afterwards. The penalty of sin has been paid for. And now the fight that we're in is the fight against the power of sin in our lives. The fight for sanctification, for holiness, for, for growth, and also for advancing this great kingdom uh, that we're part of on the offensive. So I want to put this in context so that none of us here think, well, I've got to do all this to be saved. I've got to use the word to be saved. No, we've already been saved by God's grace. And now as God's people, we use this word to continue the fight. Uh, the second thing I want to mention just by way of introduction is that as a citizen of heaven, there's a definite call to arms from our commander in chief. And if I could convince you and if I could convince myself of this, we would all be uh, in a really, really good spot. It's been said uh, that if you're going to war, you're going to have to have a hatred for your enemy. If you're going to go to war, you have to have a hatred for uh, your enemy. And I'd like to labor for a short time to engender in us, myself included, this hatred for Satan. Uh, Satan, uh, let me just begin with this. Every murder, every abuse, 
Uh, every horrible event that's ever happened, every rape is a result of Satan. He loves these things. Uh, Satan is not like a friend having a bad day. He's not like, you know, a coworker who walks in and maybe fell off the wrong side of the bed or got two hours of sleep last night and they're feeling it and so they're a little bit grumpy. Now, Satan's our arch enemy. He's, his desire is to fill hell. His desire is to keep people dead in their sin and he hates the advance of the kingdom of God. And he hates you with a passion. He can't stand your guts. He hates every believer all over the world and will do anything to destroy you. Absolutely everything at his disposal. Now he's not all powerful, he's not omniscient. He doesn't work powerfully all the time because he's not, he doesn't have the power of God. And thankfully he's a defeated foe who will one day be entirely vanquished and be in hell uh, with all of his evil demons. But for right now, he has uh, influence over this world and he can influence us and affect us drastically. One of my coworkers in uh, uh, Colorado, John French was his name, an older guy who worked at Duro Electric. He, he said, uh, I, everybody would ask him, you know, what are you up to, what are you doing? And he said, I'm spreading hate and discontent. That was always his response, he would say jokingly. Uh, but uh, it, uh, if you want to parody that with regard to Satan, what is Satan doing if we would ask him the question? Spreading hate and discontent and evil thoughts, spreading murder, spreading lies, spreading everything that's destructive in this world. He's been doing it since he showed up to Eve in the garden, and he'll continue do it, to do it until the last day when God finally puts him away. So it should come as no surprise to us then that Paul spends actually quite a bit of time at the end of Ephesians dealing with the armor of God, and that he also ends, although you could argue that prayer is part of the armor too, but he, he ends this discussion, the, the sixth piece of armor, with a real weapon. Uh, this is not a butter knife. Uh, this is not uh, just a, a benign Nerf gun. This is a sword. Swords in Paul's day were like what we might call our 50 caliber sniper rifles or our assault rifles, right? You go to war, you have a rifle because you're there to kill somebody. You're there to kill the enemy. And that's what swords are for. Swords are to kill the enemy, to resist him so that he'll flee, to put Satan on his hindquarters and to fight against him, to defend ourselves and also to be offensive in this battle. So I want us to look at uh, just three things as we uh, look at this. What is the sword of the Spirit? How do we train with it? And how does it help us in the fight? What is it? How do we train with it? And then how does it help us in the fight? So first of all, what is the sword of the Spirit? Verse 17, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. At first, this is not the sword, the long sword that we might be familiar with that can be uh, three, three and a half feet, maybe a really long one, four foot long that you would sometimes go uh, into battle with called often the, the long sword or the broad sword. That's not the sword that's uh, Paul is speaking of. The word used here describes a sword that's longer than a dagger, but maybe 18 to, to 18 inches to, to two feet long. Uh, it's the same sword that Peter used in the garden uh, uh, to cut off Malchus' ear. It's a sharp sword and uh, a very effective sword. In fact, the same sword is, is spoken of in Hebrews 4.12 where we're told this. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that's the sword, this uh, uh, a sharp sword that does piercing, uh, uh, soul-dividing work physically on the battlefield, but also spiritually when speaking of the Word of God. We're told also that the sword is the Word of God. So the weapon of the battle that we're supposed to pick up isn't a literal physical sword like Peter thought it was, but it's the Word of God, uh, the very Word of God. Uh, we know it to be uh, the Bible. 
So if we're to be valiant warriors in our spiritual battles, uh, we're going to have to have at least a passing acquaintance with the Word of God. We're also told that it's the sword of the Spirit. So this isn't the sword of the Father. This isn't the sword of the church. This is the sword of the Spirit, which means something. It means at least two things. I want to spend just a little bit of time looking at that. It means that He wrote it and also He illumines it. So uh, the Holy Spirit, first of all, wrote it. That's why it's called the sword of the Spirit. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we're told all Scripture is breathed out by God, or it's literally God-breathed, God-breathed, God-winded. And so the word for wind or breath or spirit is the same in the Greek. And so it's literally the, the, all Scripture is God-spirited, we might say. So it's God the Spirit uh, writing this, God the Spirit breathing these things out and putting them on the pages before us. And Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter 1.21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So, pause. Moses, David, Paul didn't sit down and think, hey, I'm going to write the Bible. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm going to start something. I'm going to write this Bible all on my own. No, no prophecy, no scripture was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit is the author of this word. Over 40 men wrote the Bible, but there's one author who over the course of centuries and millennia has moved men to write and to put down on paper, on, on tablets, uh, what we have as the Bible. So the Holy Spirit wrote it. That's why it's called the, uh, 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 the sword of the Spirit. He also illumines it. And 1 Corinthians 2 uh, makes, highlights this. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what this passage teaches us is that, indeed, the Holy Spirit wrote the word, but if the Spirit doesn't come and illumine the Word, none of us are going to understand it. So it should come just by way of inference. If we have even the most basic understanding of the Bible, an understanding of our sin, of who we were by nature, of how God saves purely by grace, and how He works in our lives uh, uh, by His Holy Spirit living in us, and what He's given us for a hope in heaven on account of the work of Christ with an inheritance and and, and bliss in a place where there's no more sin and we get to finally dwell with God again, but there's not even the possibility of sin. If we have even a remote understanding of that and we believe it true for us, that's nothing but a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not because you and I were somehow smart. It's not because we were better readers. It's not because we were better listeners. It's not because, oh yeah, me and my buddy, we went to church and we sat down and I believed and he didn't, but he's never been really good at school or you know, she's never been really much of a scholar and you know, I, I perceive the words of the speaker better than someone else, or I, I could read that Bible study better than they could. That has nothing to do with it, beloved. It's simply a miracle, a, a divine miracle, that any of us understand the Word of God, what it means, and, and how it will come to bear upon all of us for eternity. So it's marvelous. It's a privilege that you and I can sit here and say, I believe this Word to be true. I, I believe this is more true than 2 plus 2 is 4. That's how true I believe this Word. Uh, that's a, a great privilege. Charles Spurgeon, again, to uh, just highlight how the Spirit is absolutely necessary working through the Word, or it just won't work. Charles Spurgeon, um, in his Metropolitan Tabernacle, massive place, you can still see uh, uh, artist renderings of it, 
Uh, as he would ascend up to the pulpit, he's reported to have said every step, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I mean, this wasn't some bare chant. He understood, look, I've got tremendous gifts. Uh, he was well-studied, well-read. He was the prince of preachers. You're, uh, to hear him would have been just amazing. God used him mightily. And yet he understood fully that if the Holy Spirit does not show up today, if he doesn't work, then I can preach for four hours. I can preach till they turn the lights off. I can preach till they blow out the last candle and not a single soul is going to be saved and not a single believer will be encouraged. So, beloved, the Spirit works through the Word. It's the Spirit who illumines the Word. Now, how do we train with it? Uh, how do we train with this Bible? Because for a Roman soldier who picked up a sword, they, were not, they weren't like experts all of a sudden. Uh, the first time they picked up a sword, you had to use it. You had to train for hours. Uh, your wrist would get stronger. Your forearm would get bigger. You'd get better at tactics. You'd be better on your feet. You'd realize that it's not just wrist and arm movement, but it's foot movement too. It's how you position yourself. So there were hours that went into training on how to use this sword. And this training was for every single member of the military who had to pick up the sword. Not just for a select few generals, but for everyone. So I wanna impress upon us this, that uh, training with the Bible, picking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is not just a, some exercise that Bible teachers or pastors or, or clergy people do, or Sunday school teachers, but Paul's addressing every single Christian in the church at Ephesus, and thus all of us. So he's saying, look, you're in a battle, you're in a fight, your commander in chief from heaven says you gotta stand firm, you got a place you can't give up, a position you can't give up, you got something to, de to defend, and now here's the armor, and now part of that armor is the Bible. And so you, born again Christian, all of us in this room are gonna have to pick this up, take this up, and learn how to work with it. And really the, the, key to the key to battle is preparation. The key to winning the battle is preparation. Uh, I'll more on that in just a moment. You know, in, in 2009, uh, the Maersk, Alabama, uh, uh, was captured by pirates. Uh, Richard Phillips, there's a movie made of this, uh, was taken over by pilots, uh, ended up on, I think, the lifeboat uh, or some sort of raft pulled by the ship and uh, uh, Navy SEAL Team 6, the Special Forces got the call to go and do this. I think within a day, within 20 hours of getting the call, they were actually on the ship ready to go. And they took out the pirates. They, I think they were actually training to do something else, another maneuver, but things became so escalated, they thought this guy's life is in such danger, we gotta take the shots. They took the shots, the pirates were killed, Captain Phillips was saved, and, and rah, 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 it was, a, it was a great thing. But how did they accomplish it? Why did they accomplish it? The day they got the call, wherever they were, they didn't say, well, I guess, uh, man, I'm not a really good shot. <laughs> I better figure out how to shoot my rifle. Well, you know, we'll be there. Just give us a few months. We're going to go into training. We got, we, got a, we got to shoot thousands of rounds on the course and out in the field. And just give us six months. We'll be out there and we'll take care of Captain Phillips. That didn't happen. These people are, it's like you call 911. Uh, the police, the firefighters, they don't say, you know, what? we got a lot of training to do. We'll be there next week. Just give us a little bit of time. No, they show up right away, right? Beloved, preparation is huge for the battle. And so uh, what this involves is, at the very least, um, uh, we have to be trained uh, with the Word. We have to be training uh, with the Word. Uh, every soldier, when they come into the military, one of the first things they learn how to do is to deal with their rifle. It's, it's the offensive weapon on the battlefield. Not a sword in Paul's day, but the rifle. They had to learn to use it well. You can take that thing apart. Sometimes you're blindfolded. You can know every part of it. You know if it's... Uh, if, it's, if it's cleared, if it's ready to go, if it's uh, safe, you know every last bit of that rifle. So when the time comes to use it, you know if it's jammed, you know how to unjam it, you know how to use that thing on the field of battle. You can pick up somebody else's and use it too. 
Love it is the same with the sword of the Spirit. Uh, it's easy to get caught unprepared in the Christian life. And the Apostle Paul wants us to pick up the sword and indeed to be prepared. Now, there are a few approaches to preparation. I want to kind of walk through them a little bit uh, so that we can be encouraged to prepare well. There's a kind of soldier who doesn't practice with the sword at all. Uh, they just show up on the field of battle like, I got this, you know, natural talent. I'm a strong person. I'm maybe a quick person. I'll just take out the enemy, no problem. And of course, they get walloped. Uh, that's the same in the Christian life, beloved. Uh, some, some believers, uh, maybe some of us, I know I've been there uh, at a time in my life as well, uh, we think we're ready to encounter severe temptations and severe difficulties and to fight the fight. And all of a sudden, Satan walks in. It's like he went into God's throne room and asked permission, and God said, yep, go for it. Only I wasn't Job, <laughs> and it didn't go well, and I got slaughtered. And then uh, uh, after that, ended up picking up uh, the, the sword and learning to fight with it. There are soldiers who aren't prepared at all. They don't do any preparation. Let us not be those soldiers. Some of us might think, you know, I've been raised in the church. I've known the Lord all my life. I read the Bible when I was a kid. I don't need it now. It's not good preparation. Any more than, you know, the, the, the five-year-old boy who has his BB gun sighted in or his pellet gun sighted in says, hey, I'm ready to go be a Marine sniper, right? It's just not going to work. Need lots of preparation. And beloved, you and I will too. In fact, we could argue that the battle heats up hotter the longer we're believers. The longer we're Christians, the hotter the battle will get until at the very end, uh, it's, it's raging hot because Satan has to throw more firepower at us uh, to get us to fail. So all the more we need training. Some soldiers are indifferent. Uh, they go through the training, uh, not because they think they need it, but just because somebody's barking orders at them, telling them they have to. And some believers, some of us can do the same thing. Well, you know, I know I have to read the Bible. I know I should read the Bible. I know God wrote it and he's in charge of my life and his voice breaks the cedars of Lebanon and his voice spoke these words and the Holy Spirit wrote them. So I, I guess I should. I guess I should check that off my daily to-do list. I'll get up five minutes earlier and read it. I'll read it before I go to bed. There, Lord, aren't you happy? Again, with no vision to why am I doing this, no vision for the war, but just, you know what, I'll do it if somebody's going to be breathing down uh, my neck. Um, again, beloved, that's not a great, uh, a great attitude toward. For those people, the training becomes an end in itself. They don't see the battle. They don't see the spiritual war. The training is the end. They think, I've trained. I'm good enough. I've read my Bible. Everything's fine now. But beloved, when we read the Bible, we've got to have an eye toward the battle and toward the war. And then sometimes we can read the Bible in, in just a selfish way. We can read and study it like our life depends on it, like we're going to be you know, seminary uh, professors someday. We can uh, go to the hard passages, be the first one in the history of Christian thought to ever figure out those hard passages and give the definitive answer on things. We can go around and prove that we know everything. We can say, look how great of a soldier I am. Look at me. I'm the best soldier. I'm the best Christian. I'm the best person who's equipped. But again, not a great motivation, not a great idea in the midst of the fight because Satan can take that pride and destroy us with it. So what's a good motivation? Well, it, it's just a, a motivation to, to read with purpose in mind. The, the Christian who reads with a purpose, who listens to sermons, who, who reads their Bible, who does whatever it looks like in our lives, who does these things with an understanding that I might not need this today. I might not need this passage tomorrow. I might not need it next week. I might not need it next month. But there's going to come a time in my life where I'm going to need this. And I'm going to live on it. My spiritual life is going to depend on this. I need to know what this is. And those people are prepared. Those Christians are prepared because they've been training for years. 
They've been reading for years. They've been listening for years, not just to go through the motions, but to say, if God wrote these things, then apparently he thinks I need to know this information and it will be helpful on the field of battle. So for these people, training is not an end in itself. Training is the means uh, to the end. I, I, let me just mention this before we move on. I, I, I've told you before, I, I, I don't really like the application where we say, hey, everybody's got to go home and spend 30 minutes with the Lord. We all got to read two chapters a day or four chapters. I think that's easy for us as pastors to say, let's all read six chapters a day because we have the time. That's our job, right? That's, that's our calling. Uh, but it doesn't always work uh, in the life of, of believers. But let me come at it from a different angle. If I told you that 12 months from now, you are going to be standing in uh, a backwoods town in Iraq, dusty road, 120 degrees, all by yourself. You lost your troop. You lost your, 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 your comrades, and now you're facing the enemy who's got about 50 of them to one of you. Uh, my guess is that if you knew you were going to be there in 12 months, every one of us would leave and do what? Run like crazy right now. We'd be training every day. <laughs> we'd be setting our rifles in. We'd be making sure we can carry about 100 pounds of ammunition, grenades, whatever it would take to, to, to eradicate the enemy, and we'd be training like, like nonstop. What if I told you this, that tomorrow or next week, or a month from now, or a year from now, you're gonna find yourself in a battle. And it's gonna be a battle that hits you upside the head, coming at you from the rear you didn't expect. And, and it's gonna be difficult, and it's gonna stretch your faith, and it's gonna challenge your doubts, it's gonna produce doubts. It's gonna walk you into despair. It's gonna lead you into some horrible pride that you're just blind to, and I'm blind to. What if I told you that and me that? How would we train? Because. The first situation I gave you, you're going to be standing on a road in Iraq somewhere. That probably won't happen to most of us or any of us. But the second one I mentioned, the spiritual battle, we're in it right now. That will happen to us. Paul guarantees it. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and the powers. It's against Satan. There's going to come a battle like that, spiritually beloved. And so the call really is to train. If you can take on Satan without that sword, then go for it. But you're the first. Or if we can take on Satan without training with the sword, then we might be the first, or maybe we've got the sword really down. But beloved, we need training. We need to get ready for the battles. They don't always wage hot. They don't always wait. They're not always going on uh, 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 tremendously. Sometimes there's a break or there's a lull in the action. But when the lull comes, we can say, whew, oftentimes, I'm done with that. <laughs> I'm glad that's passed. But our mindset should be, I'm thankful that it's passed, but what's coming next? I need to prepare, not in a superstitious way, but in a real way uh, to prepare for the fight that's coming. Uh, David put it this way, Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, spending time in the word, training ourselves, gives us the strength to exercise self-control and to avoid sin when we fight in the battles. Well, now finally, how do we use it? How do we use the sword, which is the word of God? I wanna draw your attention to uh, one word that's translated in ESV, the word word which is the word of God. It's not the typical word logos, which refers to the Lord Jesus Christ in John 1, or really the whole of the Bible, but it's actually the word rhema, which has to do with really a, a spoken word or a concrete word. And uh, Roy Aldrich, one person wrote this, a concrete expression or quotation from the Bible, not logos, uh, the entire Bible. That's what rhema means. It's a concrete expression or quotation from the Bible, not logos, the entire Bible. The thought is that the Christian soldier is to know his Bible so well 
that he can use the right saying or the right word or phrase to answer each different onslaught or thrust of Satan. This method of warfare is perfectly seen in the temptation of Christ. Each thrust of Satan was blocked with an appropriate quotation of a verse or sentence from the Bible. So when Paul talks about pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he's not saying, look, throw the Bible at Satan and off you go. He's saying, which is the reign of God, the, the words of God, which are like the, the verses of God, the individual things that fit the bill of what's going on. And, and again, the Lord Jesus Christ's temptations are a perfect uh, illustration of this. Uh, Christ was hungry, 40 days without food. Temptation turned the stones to bread. Jesus didn't just pick a random verse. He went straight to Deuteronomy 8.3. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's, that's, that's a word of God that hits right there. That's a sword thrust right there. Not the general Bible, but specific. Top of the temple, jump down, God will rescue you. It's written, Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, an individual sword thrust. And then the last one, look, bow down to me. I'll give you the kingdoms. Pretty apparent you don't have them now. You want them? I'll give them to you. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, another sword thrust. Uh, using the Bible, obviously Christ had a thorough knowledge of the Bible. It's, it's all about him. He is the word. But he used that information. He used that knowledge uh, to fight back with Satan. And maybe more clearly than ever, we see Jesus Christ uh, using the word of God uh, in the ultimate way on the cross. You know, he's literally bleeding the Bible on the cross. Uh, Psalm 22 my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 69 or referring to it with the words in the, in the Gospel of John, I thirst. There stood Jesus Christ defenseless, without any armor, walking into the biggest battle he had ever known, entirely unarmed, except with the Word of God, which actually demanded that he be the one to die in the place of sinners, that a righteous person die in the place of sinners. So he... Uh, he was defenseless. Uh, the Word of God, uh, there he is. He's helpless, yet he's in control. He's vulnerable, yet he's attacking. He's desperate. And yet, at the same time, he's composed. And he's doing this for us. He's walking in that position of being defenseless, of having no armor against what's coming, of having put down everything so we can stand before the Father and undergo a punishment that he doesn't deserve to undergo. And to be subject to Satan who's licking his chops, Ever since he walked and entered into Judas and betrayed him, get that son of God on the cross. I've been trying to get him since he was born of Bethlehem. I finally got him. We're going to get rid of him. Satan's celebrating, beloved. And there sits Christ defenseless. Doesn't say a word to get off the hook. In fact, speaks to get on the hook. And he uses the word not to get off, but to describe what he's going through. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm really thirsty. He's parched. He's dried up because he's standing in our place. And beloved, because Jesus Christ did that for you and me, because he used the word to hang himself, to put him on the cross, now we can use the word in a totally different way. We are not in this battle defenseless. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ earned the right to arm us. He doesn't want us to go in this battle defenseless. In fact, he stood in the gap and said, you guys pick the fight that you're just in trouble for, What'd you do? Why'd you tick off the biggest bully on the street? <laughs> Why'd you do it? That was a bad decision. Like, now, you've got an enemy now. Uh, you've got someone coming after you. You can't deal with. You've got an enemy. Satan's your enemy. He's after you. You're under God's wrath. This is not looking good. So I'm going to step in the gap, and I'm going to take care of this for you. 
because number one, I don't want you to face it. Number two, you can't handle it. You picked a fight, you can't finish. So I'm going to finish this for you. And Jesus did. And now he says, look, I'm the hero. I'm the commander. Here's some armor. Take it up and use it. Please use it. <laughs> Please put this stuff to use. You will need it in the war, even as our Lord Jesus Christ needed it. And so I want to finish just by looking at two, two areas of how we can use it. There's a defensive use and then an offensive use of the Bible. Uh, defense, offense. First of all, there's a defensive use. When the devil comes to attack us, uh, we can use the Bible uh, defensively. You know, when pride comes in, uh, we can remember, by the way, we can use it. There's an infinite number of applications. But let's say pride comes into our lives and we're starting to think pretty good of ourselves, pretty highly of ourselves. We can bear in mind where we came from, right? Uh, I was conceived in sin, Psalm 51. I was dead in sin, Ephesians 2. Great reminders when pride comes in. We can be reminded of the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he had all the glory in the world and he was in the form of God and he came as a servant and he came to die. Not just any death, but the death of the cross. And we're told to have this mind in ourselves. Okay, thank you, Lord. That's, that's to use a sword thrust when Satan comes in and says, you know what, you're all that. You're incredible, you're amazing. God couldn't do without you. The world couldn't do without you. You're way better than all those people. And the word of God, the sword thrust to that is, actually, I'm not. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I'm getting to heaven because of Jesus Christ. And it's on his merits that I arrive there. Or when doubt or despair hits, we can use the words of God for encouragement and hope. We can remind ourselves that, look, the only thing I need to be saved is faith. That's it. I failed again. Yep. Satan comes in and says, you blew it. Yep, you're exactly right, I blew it. I failed again. The sin I didn't want to do, I did it. But I've been saved by grace. And it's my faith that saves me. It's not my good works that follow after faith that save me. They prove I save, I'm saved, they're evidence I'm saved, but they're not my salvation. And so we can fight against Satan, we can defend ourselves against Satan and doubt and despair. Let me, let me mention this before we look at the offensive use and then close. For some of us, it means that there are specific verses in the Bible that we just have to become familiar with. Do you know where you're weak? Do I know where I'm weak? Do you see in your life certain patterns of sin that maybe have other friends that when you talk to them, you're like, yeah, they have that same pattern, but there's others who don't have that pattern. Do you, do you notice that of yourself? You know, G.I. Joe, the real American hero, when I was growing up, had a commercial G.I. Joe was there, right? And I, I think one of the sayings was knowing is half the battle. Beloved, sometimes uh, knowing is half the battle, just knowing where we're weak. How has Satan taken you down the past week? How did he walk into your life and really turn things over the last month? What happened a year ago? What happened yesterday? Are we aware of these things? Because, beloveds, for some of us, the way we're wired, the way God's made us, there's going to be certain areas of our life that are just weak. And so it's helpful to train the weaknesses, right? Make the weaknesses stronger by reading certain passages, putting them in memory, just keeping them around to remind us, yeah, I'm tempted to think sin isn't that big of a deal. We'll put a passage in our heads that says sin is a big deal. So we can wake up, be like, I really have to fight. Yeah, I can't, I can't just pretend this is small. I really have to fight. Uh, remind ourselves, yep, yeah, uh, doubt, no big deal. I can just be despairing and discouraged and, and, and gloomy all the time. Well, beloved, depression's a real issue indeed, but there are passages in the Bible that also give us hope in the midst of it. Yeah, this is hard, but I do have hope. This is going to end. There's a future. So, beloved, where are we weak? Let's shore up those weaknesses with the sword. And finally, there's an offensive use to the Bible, which is the spreading of the gospel. Matthew 16, 18, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Love that image. 
hell's in a defensive posture, and they have, it has gates. And what we're told is that the gates of hell will not prevail against the attacks of the church, against the building of the church. So imagine going out of town, grabbing a telephone pole, right? You, you take the electric lines off it, you pull this puppy up, you got like a 40 or 50 foot telephone pole, and you got about 30, 30 of your buddies that are standing on this telephone pole, battering this gate like a battering ram, beating down the gates with the word of God, going at it. And Jesus is saying, look, those gates, they're not going to hold up. You're going to do some work. And there's Christians all around Satan's citadel that are just beating down the gates. And as soon as a, a, a slot opens, because you've spread the word, because we told us about Jesus, you grab a soul and yank them out before the gates close again, and you start battering again. And beloved, that's what happens when we use the word of God, this powerful tool that the Spirit is pleased to use to bring you and I to salvation through some means, right? Somebody told us the word. Somebody gave us the gospel. Somebody took that sword of the Spirit and thrust it right in our heart. And the Spirit said, yep, they're mine. I've got them. New heart, in we go. And now the Lord turns us out around and says, now, okay, now you've got a sword, now go use it. There's lots of people who need to be cut all the way to the heart. You do the talking, you do the loving, you do the deeds of mercy, you tell them about Jesus, and I'll cut them to the heart. But use the word. Tell them they're sinful. Tell them there's hope. Tell them when they're miserable. Look, there's a place where hope can be found. There's a balm for all of your pain. There's a place that you're going to be at someday if you believe in Jesus where there is no more pain and sin. And I can tell you how to get there. His name is Jesus. He's an incredible Savior. He pays for all the sins of His people. There's nothing left to do except say thank you for the rest of your life. That's it. Won't you repent and believe in Him? So that's a way we can use the Bible uh, as a sword. Let's, let's pray together.